Hey guys. How are we doing? How, how was your last day of camp? Oh, thank you so much, man. Thank you. All right. Hey, you know, I, this week has been such a blast. I've had so much fun with you guys. Uh, such a great time opening God's word, going through the, the book of Daniel and seeing this story of a, of a young man who lived a life of faithfulness um, for, for 70 years in this faraway place, this, this place that stood against everything that he believed, and yet for his entire life he stood firm. He, he, he planted his feet, he followed God no matter the cost, no matter what. It's been such a, a blessing to be able to open up the word and to, and to walk through that story with you guys this week. So um, thanks for letting me do it. I, I, counselors, youth pastors, thanks for, for letting me just uh, pour into your kids this week. Uh, I've, had, I've had such a blast. I've been so blessed by it, so blessed by just conversations with, with all of you guys uh, just coming up to me. Um, even talking with my boys. It's been, it's been so much fun this week hanging out with you guys. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed it's over, but we've got one more time tonight where we get to open up the word together and uh, just put a, a nice little bow on our time in Daniel. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up. Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. So we're going to end our time in the book of Daniel. Now, if you don't know, in Daniel, really those first six chapters or so are the narrative of Daniel. And then as you get past that, you're getting into some of the prophecies of Daniel, some of the, the things that God showed Daniel about, about the future. And uh, we're not going to go into all of that, but, but what I want to look at tonight is just a prayer that Daniel prayed a prayer for mercy. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 3 as we see Daniel's prayer to God here. This is what Daniel says. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We've done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandment and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. So Daniel's prayer starts, it starts with this admission of guilt. God, we have sinned against you. We have not obeyed your laws. We have not obeyed your statutes. We have not obeyed your rules. We have sinned against you. We talked about this just a few nights ago, right? They did that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us could sign our name to what Daniel just said. To us belongs open shame. 
To us belongs guilt because we have sinned against you, O God. But to you belongs mercy. To you belongs forgiveness. See, Daniel's prayer here takes a turn from talking about his open guilt, his shame, that he and all of the rest of Israel, he and all of the rest of God's people have sinned against God. They deserve God's righteous judgment against them. And then in the second part of this verse, he turns to asking God for mercy, pleading with God that God might have mercy on his people. If we pick up in verse 17, we see this. Now, therefore, O God, Listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy." O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay no attention. Or sorry, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So Daniel is praying this prayer for God's mercy. And if we look, it says that what, what brought about this prayer for mercy is Daniel realized that the time was coming up when God... Uh, had told his people that they would be delivered from this exile. You see, Daniel was taken away from Jerusalem when he was a young man, maybe 15, 16 years old, and he had, at this point, spent almost 70 years in Babylon. Almost 70 years far away from home, and now he realizes that the day that God has promised to bring his people back to Jerusalem is just around the corner. And so he's praying to God for mercy, praying that God would bring his undeserving, unfaithful, unholy people back into the promised land. He is pleading with God for mercy. And the incredible thing that we see in scripture is that God answers that prayer. This takes place under the, the reign of King Darius. That's that, um, that Darius the Mede, that, that Persian king who, who threw Daniel into the lion's den, even though he wasn't super stoked about that whole situation. And now Daniel's praying this prayer under Darius, but then the very next king, King Cyrus, who would come to power soon, King Cyrus, under his reign, in the first year of his reign, we see in the book of Ezra, he allows God's people to begin to start going back to Jerusalem, to start rebuilding what Babylon had destroyed. See, God in his mercy and his grace, he answers Daniel's prayer for mercy. But that shouldn't be all that surprising to us, should it? I mean, I don't think it was surprising to Daniel at all. See, Daniel wasn't just praying to God, hoping that God might be merciful kind of sometimes. No, Daniel was praying to God because he knew that God is a God of mercy and a God of deliverance. Did you see what he said back in verse 18? Listen to this. In Daniel's prayer, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, 
but because of your great mercy. God, I'm not pleading with you because I deserve mercy. I'm not pleading with you because I have a right to your mercy or your forgiveness or your grace. I'm pleading with you because I know that you are a God of forgiveness, that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God of grace. Not because of my righteousness, but because of yours. Not because I deserve it, but because you are gracious and merciful. See, that's the basis that Daniel makes this plea because Daniel knows God's mercy. How does Daniel know God's mercy? Because he's seen it. He's seen it in the history of his people. He looks back on history and he sees how God was merciful to Noah when he wiped out all the earth, but he saved Noah and his family. He sees how God was merciful to his people when they were enslaved in Egypt and they said, God, please deliver us. And God sent Moses to deliver the plagues, God's judgment on Pharaoh, and to bring his people out of Egypt. He saw God's mercy echoing down through the ages, but that's not all. He has seen God's mercy in his own life. Because when Jerusalem was taken over, Daniel wasn't killed. It's God's mercy. He was taken to Babylon. When Daniel drew the line in the sand and said, I'm not going to eat the food. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. God was merciful and gracious. And he allowed Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to be more healthy than all the other youths so they were not put to death by the king and his men. He saw God's mercy and grace to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. He saw God's mercy and grace to deliver him from the lion's den, even though, as we talked about last night, Daniel was not sinless. And the only reason he was blameless before God was because of his faith in God. All of that, all of that is God's mercy. Daniel had seen God's mercy and grace over and over and over again. And you know what, you guys? We have too. We've seen God's mercy and grace over and over and over again. Last night, we spent the whole night talking about the greatest display of God's mercy and grace, the greatest display of his love for his people. We're talking about the gospel, about how God Though we, we deserve his wrath, we deserve his punishment, we deserve to be punished by him because we have committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe, and so what we deserve for our sin is death, but God is loving and God is gracious and God is merciful, so when we deserve death, he sent his son to die for us and to rise again so that we might not get the death that we deserve, but we might get the life that Jesus earned. That is the mercy of God. And in his great mercy, God doesn't just deliver us from the punishment of our sin. He also adopts us into his family. He fills us with the spirit of God, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He takes Christ's righteousness his perfect holiness that he earned in his life of never sinning, and he gives that righteousness to us. Guys, God's mercy is so great and so vast and so powerful, we can't even wrap our brains around it. We've talked about it together. 
We've seen it in our own lives. For some of you, you experienced that powerful mercy of God through the gospel. You experienced it for the very first time last night. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You put him on that throne of your life where he and only he belongs. And you moved from the death that you deserve into new life in Christ. That is the mercy of God. That is the mercy that empowered Daniel's faithfulness in 70 years of living in Babylon. Is that mercy of God, that knowledge of who God is, of how he loves his people, that mercy of God that allowed Daniel to live a life of faithfulness for 70 years away from home. It was that mercy that empowered Daniel's faithfulness, and it's that same mercy that empowers our faithfulness. Turn over to Romans. The New Testament, turn to Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we see exactly what the mercy of God means for our lives. Because of God's mercy, we have been saved, we have been given new life, we have come out of the death that we deserve because of our sin and brought into the life that Jesus earned by living the perfect life, by dying on the cross for us and by rising again for us. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we see this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, when he says brothers, he's talking about everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ, everyone who has been saved by God. He says, in light of that mercy, because of that mercy that you've been shown by God through Jesus, I appeal to you on the basis of that, because of that mercy, now you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In light of that mercy of God, the call on us is now to live lives of worship to God, presenting our bodies to him as sacrifice, worshiping him and him alone, following him as king and him alone, him on the throne of our lives. Why? Because of the mercy that he's shown us. That's our response to what he's shown us in Jesus. It's to follow him and him alone. It's to present ourselves to him, our lives, as a continual act of worship. And then in verse 2, he explains in more detail what this life sacrificed to God looks like. In light of the mercies of God, what should our lives look like? When you go down the hill tomorrow... When you go back home, back to your normal everyday life, you go back to your family, your friends, your baseball teams, eventually you go back to school. I know you don't want to think about it. It's so far away. You pretend like it's never going to happen, but it will. As you go back to your regular lives, what does it look like to live a life of worship to God? Well, the answer is here in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may, to, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does it look like to live in light of the mercy that God has shown you through Jesus? What does it look like to live a life of worship 
to the king of the universe who made you in his image to know and love and serve him, the king who you have committed treason against, yet he died and rose again for you? What does it look like to live a life of sacrifice to him? It looks like not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. So when we say the word conform, Something that always comes to my mind is Plato. Because I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Plato's a big part of my life right now. I do a lot of Plato, right? And when you take Plato, you put it into those Plato molds. You guys know what I'm talking about? We have like a little alien, we have all the PJ masks, and you put the Plato in there and you smush the Plato into the shape of that mold, right? And when you take it out, the Plato's taken on a new shape. That's what conformity is. It's being smashed into a mold. Um, I don't have any Play-Doh with me this week, but I do have this little uh, container here, this little, I don't know, what shape is this? Rectangular prism. Um, I paid attention in geometry. And also, um, I have uh, what Grant, my five-year-old, has named Lovey. Marissa, can you hand me Lovey? This is Lovey. All right. So, Guys, it's, a, it's not a real dog, I promise. It's just a, it's a stuffed animal. So, so, this is what Romans 12 is saying. It's saying, do not be conformed to the ways of this world. The world has this mold, right? This, this way that we are expected to live, the way that the world lives. And this, this mold of the world. This mold of the world. This is the world saying to us, this is the, the world that, the, 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 the mold that the world wants to force us into, the box that the world wants to force us into. It, the world seeks our conformity. We live in this world that wants us to think the way the rest of the world thinks. It wants us to say the things the rest of the world says. The world wants us to value the things they value, to love the things they love, to hate the things they hate, and to do the things they do. And you know what? Conformity is the path of least resistance. It's easy to conform. It's easy to do the things the world does, to say the things the world says, to think the things the world thinks, to act the way the world acts, to love the things the world loves, and to hate the things the world hates. This is our natural state. This is what happens to us. Why? Because the box that the world fits into, it's insidious. The world wants our conformity. It wants us to walk and think and act and talk just like everybody else. And so as we live life in this culture, life in this world, we are constantly being pushed and shoved into the box that the world has made for us, even when we don't know it. These, I love that this box is clear because the conformity that the world pushes on us, sometimes it's hard to see. Every time you open up your phone, you scroll through Instagram, the world is telling you how to think, 
what you should look like, the things that you should love, the things you should base your identity on, the, the ways that you should act. You're being told that constantly. Every time you open up your phone, every time you turn on a TV, every time you listen to music, every time you go to school and you talk to the people around you, this is constant. You are always being shoved and pushed down into this box. And if you are not careful, if you're not diligent, then what you're going to find out is that you look just like everyone else shoved into the same exact shape, conformed to the world. But the call here of Romans 12, this call of living in light of the mercies of God is to not be conformed. To not say the things the world says and think the things the world thinks and do the things that the world does, but rather to be transformed to be bursted out of the mold of the world and transformed into something completely different. Guys, our call is to not be conformed to the way of the world, but to be transformed into the image of Christ. To not think what the world thinks, but to think what Jesus thinks. To not do what the world does, but to live a life like his. To not say what the world says, but to say the words of Christ. To not love what the world loves, but to love what Christ loves and what he loves most is his father. To not hate what the world hates because the world hates righteousness. Instead to hate what Christ hates because what Christ hates is sin. We're not to be conformed into the box of this world to follow the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. We're not to follow this world. We are to be transformed into the image of Christ. Okay, so how do we do that? In light of the mercies of God, in light of what Jesus has done for us, of how God in his mercy has saved us from our sin, in light of that, we are to live lives that look like Jesus's and not lives that look like the world, but that is a lot easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? Because conformity is so easy. It would have been easier for Daniel to go along with everybody else and eat the king's food. It would have been easier for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down before the golden image. It would have been easier for Daniel to spend 30 days not praying to God, but only praying to King Darius. Those things would have been easier. Conformity's always easier. But we're called to do something hard, and that hard thing is to be transformed. So how do we do it? Well, we don't do it of our own effort. We can't do it of our own effort. I can't make myself more like Jesus just by trying harder. What I need to have happen is I need to have my mind renewed. It says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and pleasing and perfect. If we want to not be conformed to this world, if we want to live lives of resilience like Daniel's, we want to live lives of being firmly planted and grounded in our faith and to say, no matter what the world does or says, no matter what they take away from me, no matter what names they call me, no matter how they punish me or hurt me or make fun of me, no matter what, 
I am not going to conform, but I am going to be transformed into the image of Christ. I am going to follow him and him alone. If we're going to do that, then we need to have our minds transformed. And how do we have our minds transformed? I think I mentioned this one, this verse that I want to take you to, to yesterday. So we did our Q&A, but it's one that's been on my heart lately, and I think it's so powerful. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we have a picture of how our minds are, are uh, renewed so that our lives can be transformed. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I don't know if you caught it there, but he, he said that we're all being transformed into the same image. That's being transformed into the image of Christ, being made more like Jesus. And did he, you see what he said we need in order to do that. See, in Romans, it says we need our minds renewed. But here in 2 Corinthians, it tells us how our minds can be renewed. And it says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God. Our minds are renewed. And by result, our lives are transformed by us beholding the glory of God. If we want to live lives of Christ-likeness, if we want to live lives that look different than the world, not conformed to the shape of this world, but transformed into the image of Jesus, if we want to live lives of gratitude and sacrifice and worship because of what God has done for us and the mercy he's shown us, then we need to have our minds transformed by beholding the glory of God. We need to see God for who he is. Because as we see God for who he is, our minds are transformed, our, our minds are renewed, and our lives are transformed and changed into the image of Christ. So, how do we see God's glory? If we're called to be transformed rather than conformed, and we do that by renewing our minds, our minds are renewed by seeing God's glory, then how do we see God's glory? We see God's glory by participating in the means of grace that God has set up for us. See, here this week at camp, many of you have felt that transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've, you've felt closer to God than you've ever felt before. You feel like you've been growing in leaps and bounds in your walk with the Lord over just the past six days. How is that? Why is that? Is it because this place is magical? Is it because we're up at, at some higher elevation and we're closer to heaven so you just get better God reception here? What is it? What is it about camp? You know what it is about camp? When you come to camp, you spend a week immersed in the means of grace. You spend a week constantly beholding the glory of God. And how do you behold that glory? Well, number one, you spend time in scripture. You probably spend more time in your Bibles up here at camp than you do back at home. I'm gonna bet for nine out of 10, 99 out of 100 of you, that's the case. 
You spend more time in scripture up here than you do back at home. You open his word, you read it on your own in solo time, you come into chapels and we open it up together. You go to your, your, your cabins, you're opening up the Bible in cabin discussion. You are constantly in the word of God. And as you're constantly reading God's word, you're constantly seeing how God has shown himself to you in his word, which means you're constantly beholding God's glory and that begins to have a transformative influence in your life. But what else do you do at camp? We're constantly in prayer. You're praying before meals, you're praying in your cabins, you're praying here in chapel, you're constantly praying to God. You're going before the throne of God, making your requests known to God. You're making this habit, this discipline of praying to God. You're seeing God's glory through that, and that's not all. When you're here at camp, you are deep in Christian community. You're constantly surrounded by people who are pointing you towards Jesus. Your friends, your counselors, in those cabin conversation times after chapel as you're unpacking what you're learning, what you're talking about, you're surrounded by people who keep pointing you back to God, to who he is, to his mercy, his grace, his love, his justice, his holiness. You keep having people who are pointing you and showing you the glory of God. It's what we do in this building. It's what we do all over camp. Because that living in the church, in Christian community, that's part of the ways that God shows us his glory and so renews our minds. See, there's nothing magical about being up here at camp. There's nothing special about Hume Lake. What is significant and the reason that you feel like you've grown in leaps and bounds in your walk with the Lord over the past six days is because during that time, you have seen the glory of God time and time and time again because you have been immersed in the scriptures. You've been reading the Bible. You've been in prayer. You've been walking through life and having conversations with people who love Jesus and love you and are pointing you towards him. And through all of those things, God has been showing himself to you. He's been showing you his glory and your lives have begun to be transformed. And you're up here at camp and you're going, man, I desperately want to hold on to this. I want this to continue when I go back home. I, 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 I love this, this closeness that I'm feeling with God as, as I'm learning more and more about him. I want this to be my daily life. And then you go back home and you do all the same things that you did before. And you read your Bible just as much as you did before you came up here. And you go to church just as much as you did before you came up here. And you pray just as much as you did before you came up here. And pretty soon your life starts to get smushed back into that box of the world. I'm not going to do it because I don't want you guys to talk. You start to get smushed back into that, that box of the world. And you start to think more like the world around you. You start to talk more like the world around you. You start to act more like the world. It's because you've neglected the means of grace. Because you haven't sought to see God for who he is. 
to constantly behold the glory of God, to constantly keep him in the front of your mind, keep him in front of your eyes, to constantly be looking to who God is and allowing that to renew your mind and so to transform your life. Guys, if you want to live this transformed life that you're called to live, then you need to live a life focused on the glory of God. And you can't do that alone. You need to do it through the means that God has set up. Do it by opening his word. Do it by going to him in prayer. And do it by committing yourself to be a part of a body of believers, to be a part of a church. Some of you are already plugged into your church, you're already plugged into your youth group. Some of you just um, signed up with a church because you wanted to come up to Hume. And I'm glad you're here, but man, I would much rather you be plugged into church than you come up to camp. Because this is a week and that's for a lifetime. And if you're going to live a life that is transformed, then you need to be a part of a body, the body of Christ that constantly points you towards God, that you may behold his glory so that your lives can be transformed. If you want to see God's glory transforming your life and stay in the means of grace, That's how you can avoid being conformed to this world. That's what Daniel did. For 70 years, Daniel lived in a society that was against everything that he thought, everything that he believed, everything that he knew to be true about God. And for 70 years, Daniel was faithful. He lived a life of resilience. We don't know a lot about Daniel's life. There's not a whole lot in scripture about it, just a few chapters of that narrative. But you know what we see constantly? We see Daniel praying to God. He committed himself to prayer his entire life. That's what got thrown, him thrown into the lion's den. We see Daniel in Christian fellowship with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't see Daniel reading the word, but we see that it has saturated him, that he is filled with God's word. I think he must have been reading it. If we want to live lives like Daniel, that's what we have to do. We need to be in the word, we need to be in prayer, and we need to be in a church. We need to be in community with those who will point us towards Christ. We need to see God to behold his glory, and our lives will be transformed. Let's pray. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we can go before your throne in prayer. We thank you for the gift of the church, the bride of Christ. God, I pray for these kids. I know what it is to come up to camp and to have a camp high. To feel like they're growing in leaps and bounds and then to go back home and to fall right back into the same rut, right back into the same routines. To be conformed again to the world around them. Slip right back into the same old sins. God, I pray that as these kids go home, they would fight that temptation. That instead of being conformed they would be transformed into the image of Christ. That they would commit themselves to seeking you in your word, in prayer, and in community with other believers. 
God, I pray that you would continue to show them your glory so that they could be conformed into the image of, their, of your son, that they could be more like Jesus, that they could live lives of faithfulness like Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen.